living is easy with eyes closed. And the interesting thing about it, um, this is a song that John Lennon wrote uh, in 1967. And in 1980, uh, just a few months before he died, in an interview, he referred to this song as a psychoanalysis put to music. And in many ways, it reflects the kind of a journey and the kind of a turns that his own life was taking at that point in life. You see, by the time we get to the late 60s, he has become disenchanted. The youthful enthusiasm of John Lennon is already gone. In 1965, um, one of the friends of the band, the dentist, introduced him to LSD. And from that point on, there's strange kind of music that's starting to pop out of the Beatles. And at this point in John Lennon's life, I mean, he, he's trying to reconcile in his own internal world. On one hand, the fame that has been thrust upon him, and on the other hand, his complete insecurity and uncertainty about who he is. And where he comes, the point in life that he comes to is to embrace this outlook on life. That living is easy with eyes closed. You see, everything else, all the obstacles, the things that come in life, they suddenly are treated as, you know, the psychedelic trips. This unnecessary extra. And all John can do at this point is to bury his head in the sand. And to live with ever-narrowing, midgeting vision of existence. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about the easy life that comes with closed eyes. The easy kind of a life that comes when our vision, when our direction becomes very myopic. That only thing we can muster is our thoughts about the next midterm or the next date or the next football game. You see, we're at the point in our journey through the book of Mark where suddenly the story of Jesus takes another turn. You see, everything up to this point has been taking place, and we can put up a slide up there. Um, All of the action, all of the narrative is taking place up in a region up on north called Galilee. You see, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is performing miracles in many ways. Like we'll look at Jesus' miracles and they look like some kind of a party tricks. Hey, look, I can open this bottle of rolling rock with my eye socket. Can you do that? And then in reality, his words and his actions are symbolic of describing the kind of a kingdom that is breaking in into the flow of history with the arrival of this controversial king. And the people's responses are all over the map. But mostly, there is a misunderstanding. People don't get them. And when we come to chapter 8, where we're going to be tonight, as the narrative takes a turn, because at this point... Jesus starts to journey down south to Judea till he arrives to Jerusalem and that little white line describes this journey he undertakes from Galilee to Jerusalem with his disciples. And this is in the Gospel of Mark what is referred to as the Act 2, the journey section. 
And the interesting thing what Mark does with the journey section, he uses what scholars call a Markan sandwich. And what I mean by the sandwich is like, you know, most of you like Panera bread, right? You know, you guys are lucky. When I was a student at Ohio State, I mean, the prime place to go for lunch was this place where now there's Brennan's Coffee Shop on High Street. It used to be, I mean, I'm not kidding you, it used to be Taco Bell slash Pizza Hut slash KFC slash Heart Attack. (laughs) I mean, that was the biggest place in town. I mean, on Tuesday nights, Taco Bell had this special called 10 Cent Burritos. I mean, bean burritos for 10 cents. I mean, we call it the roommate nightmare special. I mean, for a dollar, you could turn any dorm room into a gas chamber. And many guys did. But now you guys go to Panera. You know, I mean, it's a night and day. I'm like, Panera, I mean, this is like, you know, a step closer towards heaven. And you walk in and they have this marvelous heavenly sandwich called Turkey Bacon Bravo. Right? I mean, I know what a turkey is. I know what a bacon is. What the heck is a Bravo? I mean, is that an item? I mean, what kind of a planning session did it take? Like, okay, let's bring the chef in. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to take a piece of focaccia bread. And I'm going to cut it in half. And I'm going to put some secret sauce that only four of us will know. And I'm going to take a piece of turkey. And I'm going to fry up some bacon and put it on top. You're going to put a bacon on it? Stop. Are you kidding me? You are to the sandwich with Martha Stewart is to home decor. All I can say is bravo. Is that how the name came? I think the other option was like spam bologna nasty on a donut. But, you know, they turned it one down. But, you know, this bacon turkey bravo sandwich on the focaccia bread. You know, it depends on if you're a bread person, if you're a meat person. depends on which one you like the most. But, you know, the meat of it, this bacon, the turkey, and whatever heck the bravo is, it's the heart of it. But you need this nice wrapping of a focaccia bread. Those two sides of it, the top and the bottom. So in the same way, what Mark is doing with his journey section between chapters 8 and 10, he is building a nice turkey bacon bravo sandwich. And he brackets the meat as with a storytelling technique called sandwiching. And what he does at the beginning of the journey and at the end of the journey, he puts two stories of the healing of blind man. Now, did Jesus heal more than two guys? Yes. Did Jesus heal more than two guys in a closer intervals of time? Probably. But Mark is telling us a story and he uses the storytelling technique called a sandwich. And the reason is that these two pieces at the beginning and at the end, they're going to hint and they're going to give us a sense of what's going to come in the middle. And what's in the middle is the disciples' walking academy with Jesus. And this is what we'll be talking about next week. But the idea is they're journeying with Jesus and they're learning from him. And Mark is going to tell us about the process that they're going through in their understanding of who he is. But at the beginning and at the end, 
he gives us two stories of the healing of the blind man. As a little storytelling technique to tell us that the disciples are the ones who are blind. And they're the ones who need their eyes open. So let me pray, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, Thank you for this church uh, that is a marvelous host for us. Uh, Thank you for Josh and all the other staff here that have graciously opened up a door. And thank you for churches like this that partner with us, Lord. Uh, Thank you for our movement, and thank you for these men and women that you brought here tonight. And Lord, tonight we pray that as we hear these stories, Lord, that in many ways you'll be opening our own eyes. That there will be things in tonight's talk that will be speaking to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that, that your spirit will be penetrating deeply into our souls. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it's amazing. Tables move while you pray. Uh, and then, uh, I'm just a little puppet. Okay, what's on my script? What's on the teleprompter? Well, that one? No. There's no teleprompters. All right. Um, <clears throat> so we have two texts. You know, two stories of the healing of the blind man. And the first one is in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid hands on him, and he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So this is the first story. And first story at the, at the beginning of the sandwich is that You know, being around Jesus is about seeing the reality clearly. The text tells us that he saw everything clearly. That this is the goal. This is why Jesus takes his disciples on a journey with him. And then when we come to the other end of the sandwich, when we come to chapter 10, what Mark is going to tell us, he's going to put an exhibit A guy by the name of Bartimaeus, whose eyes have been opened. And he becomes a model disciple. In essence, Mark is telling to his community, you want to know what it really looks like when somebody's eyes are wide open and they're ready and willing to follow Jesus. Look at Bartimaeus. This is his story. And it says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? 
And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus is the model disciple. Bartimaeus is what it looks like when our eyes are wide open and we see Jesus for he truly is. The words there, when, he, when the verse tells us that he saw things clearly, the Greek word actually doesn't just mean that you suddenly go from seeing blurry pictures to seeing them in clarity. But it's this whole idea that you were nearsighted and you couldn't see far enough. Then in some ways, if I were to take my glasses off now, everything not only is going to be blurry, but I can't see anything at the distance. In essence, what Mark is telling us is that the goal of following Jesus is about getting 2020 vision on reality. And what does 2020 vision on spiritual reality really looks like is when you have this blind beggar sitting at the roadside crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you see, those of us that have grown up with the Old Testament might say, what's the big deal about him crying out and calling Jesus the son of David? Well, immediately, if you were a Jewish person at that time, in your mind, you would go immediately to Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah chapter 11 is one of those marvelous passages that tells us that out of the stump of Jesse, a shoot will spring up. A little branch will grow out of the household of Jesse, who was David's father. That through the eyes of prophetic vision, Isaiah is saying that the day will come when Davidic king will arise. And when this Davidic king will arise, certain things will be happening worldwide. And among some of those things will be justice, will be peace, will be the kind of a situations where you will have these wild animals resting with domestic animals and there will be no violence. There will be those situations where children will put their hands on the dance of cobras and they will not be eaten alive. In essence, what he's saying when the Davidic king steps on the scene, there will be no oops and there will be no ouch. But he will bring restoration and with this restoration, the Davidic king will usher the global healing. It's going to be the healing on the emotional side of things, and it will be healing on the physical side of things. And when blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is approaching, even though he cannot see with his eyes, he can see with the eyes of his heart, and he understands that that moment in history has arrived. That in Jesus, God breaks into the flow of humanity. That in Jesus, God grabs ordinary human beings like J.D. Bergman's and gives them dreams that are bigger and wilder than the Olympic dreams. But you see, when Bartimaeus starts to cry out, immediately we're told that they try to silence him. That people around him are starting to rebuke Bartimaeus. And the Greek word for rebuke is the same one that Matthew uses when he says that Jesus rebuked the storm and the sea and there was a great calm. You see, the Greek word that really means to speak sternly with somebody in order to stop or prevent action. You see, this blind Bartimaeus understanding and embracing that Jesus is the Davidic king sends ripple effects through his world. And the world doesn't like it. 
Ici Bartimaeus' world wants peace and quiet. And this guy, by the virtue of embracing Jesus as a Davidic king, is disrupting the status quo. And they try to shut him up. You see, listen to the words of um, John Piper. He says this. He says, Christianity was born in a world of totalitarianism. For 300 years, there was no legal legitimacy or protection for Christianity. To convert from one pagan religion and say, Jesus is Lord, was to risk your life. That wasn't strange. This was the world in which New Testament was written. In other words, it was not strange to be persecuted. What is strange historically is that we are not. You see, friends, the reality is, if you and I embrace Jesus, it's going to cost us something. You see, if you're a freshman and you're starting to take Jesus seriously, most likely some people on your floor will not like that. You see, for some of you, it might bring your families to crossroads where your commitment with Jesus and your loyalty to your family is going to conflict. For some of you, your former dreams and plans for life might be coming to the crossroads by the virtue of you being follower of Jesus. And it's going to cost you. Following Jesus sometimes can be a traumatic experience. Jamie Buckingham says that the gospel is not always velvet. At times, it feels like a sandpaper. And Bartimaeus knows that. He's got a crowd on his heels telling him to shut up. But he continues to call out on Jesus. And notice what happens. The text tells us that Jesus stopped. The Greek words there tell us actually literally it will be that Jesus stood still. Now you got to understand the significance of this. This is a crucial point. One of two crucial points in the whole story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Next thing, when chapter 11 opens, that's a triumphal entry. Jesus is surrounded with the 12, and the text tells us that he's surrounded with a large crowd. He is on his way to fulfill his mission. And there is a blind beggar crying out to him, and he stops. He stops the mission of his life. To attend to this ordinary human being in need. It tells us something about the heart of our Savior. Who would put the pause button on something like that. In order to pay attention to you and I. And it's a moment where everything, the entire creation stands still. The king of the universe and the ordinary human being. The flip side of that story is, is that you've got this guy. The tenacity of his faith stops the king of the universe in a full swing of his mission. And I look at the guy and I say, I want to be like him. I want to have a faith like that. I want to cling to reality of Jesus to the degree that Bartimaeus does. I want to be like Bartimaeus when I grow up in my faith. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. Bartimaeus and Jesus face to face 
And then comes a call. Jesus looks at his people and he says, call him. And they show up and they tell him three things. They say, get up. I mean, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. I mean, this is the moment in Bartimaeus' life where his understanding of who Jesus is up here now requires action and tenacity down here. What is Bartimaeus going to do? In some ways, it's like Jesus shows up before Bartimaeus and plops down the commanding order. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And friends, if we are being honest, there are moments in our lives where that comes to us. When Jesus looks at us and he says, take heart, get up, and follow me. And many of us start to come up with excuses, aren't we? And we all know it. We've been there. Because there's other commanding orders that come at us. You see, the corporate America walks in, plops down a job or an internship, and he says, sit down, shut up, and sign that contract. You see, you go to RPAC, and some meathead named Jimmy winks at you, and suddenly your mind drifts to the, you know, this incredible paradise of the bachelorette. You know, <laughs> Jimmy and Jenna. You know, it's like the sweetest couple of the year. And suddenly it's like, I didn't know what a Prince Charming was till I met him. And I was like, Jenna is so beautiful. I thought she was only beautiful on the outside. Now I know she's beautiful on the inside too. I respect her religion. Guy, girls, when a dumbbell says I respect her religion, you need to run. Because he knows nothing of Jesus. He knows nothing of Son of David. And he knows nothing of the kingdom of God. But that happens to us, doesn't it? That Jesus enters our lives and he says, take heart, get up, follow me. And we'll listen to different voices. And what's Bartimaeus going to do? This is, a, this is the moment he's been waiting for. And Mark tells us that he does three things. He throws away his cloak, he springs to his feet, and he goes before Jesus. And don't miss this. He is still blind. He is blind. And why put this little detail about throwing his cloak away? Well, friends, if you're blind and you're sitting and begging, that's all you got. All you have is old, dirty, dingy, smelly coat that keeps you warm once in a while on a rainy day on the streets of, on the outskirts of Jericho. But that's all you've got. You see, Jim Elliott said, those of us that want to come to Jesus for eternal salvation and eternal life need to throw away our old lives. And that's what Bartimaeus does. He takes his old life, symbolizing the coat, he throws it away, and he springs before Jesus, and he stands there right at that moment. He is the model of discipleship for you and I. You see, he's standing there, and he's got nothing. He's got absolutely nothing left. He doesn't have a coat. He doesn't have a five, ten-year plan for the future. He doesn't have an internship. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have friends. That's just him. He stands naked, blind, before Jesus. 
And all he does at this moment, he puts all his eggs in the Jesus basket. If Jesus does not come through, he's screwed for eternity. See, Paul Stephen says this, he says, Kingdom of God is for those who are desperate, not for those who are mildly interested. Bartimaeus comes and he knows, apart from Jesus, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. And right at that moment, he receives his eyesight. But listen to what happens. Right as he receives his sight, we're told that he followed him on the way. But notice something. Notice something that Jesus does not demand that of him. Jesus actually tells him, go away. Your faith has made you well. You see, Jesus is not looking for debtors. He's looking for disciples. He frees this blind man and he says, you wanted your eyesight, you got it. What are you going to do with your life now? You wanted that internship, you got it. What are you going to do with it now? You wanted that Olympic dream, you got it. Now what? Now where are you going with it? You wanted that sweet girlfriend, you got her. Now what? What's next? What are your plans? And Bartimaeus still doesn't have a plan. He still doesn't have a job application in hand. All he knows is a kalutheo. And he followed him. Literally, in Greek, it means to walk behind someone. To download somebody's Google Maps and directions and saying, I'll go wherever you go. Whatever direction your life goes, that's where I'm going. Whatever your plans are, that's what my plans are because I've got nothing else left. Friends, I started out this talk by telling you a story of John Lennon. Strawberry Fields is actually in his hometown in Liverpool, England. And you see, Strawberry Field was a Salvation Army children's home. And when he was little, whenever Salvation Army children's choir would start singing, John would grab his aunt and he would be there listening to those songs. Now, John would never admit that. But was this his nostalgia? Was this his way of saying, I miss something? Something went astray in my life. And what I want to end with is the words from a guy who actually founded a Salvation Army. William Booth. Listen to what he says to you and I tonight. As those of us that want to follow Jesus. He says, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and near him. Bid you, and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look, to, then look Christ in the face whose mercy you profess to obey and tell him, whether you will join heart and soul, body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Friends, that's what Bartimaeus does. When he, Akalutheos, when he follows Jesus, he's following Jesus into chapter 11 in Mark's story. And that's a triumphal entry. He follows Jesus to his rightful throne, which is on the cross. 
He follows Jesus in his agenda of reclaiming the fallen world. He follows Jesus in his plan of redeeming humanity. And he asks us whether we will join in on that. That if there would be another dream that is bigger than that. If there is another agenda worth listening to than that. If there is other marching orders that we would rather follow. Then follow the king that's on a mission to reclaim the world as his rightful kingdom. And friends, for you and I, the question is, would we wake up to that? And maybe tonight's talk is too heavy, and I apologize for that. I'm not telling you don't get jobs. I'm not telling you that relationships are bad. What I'm telling us is this, is that most likely, once you're out of this movement, there won't be many places where you will be challenged to surrender your entire life before Jesus. That there is not many places that I know of where men and women are called to the complete surrender before the king. A place is where you are challenged to think through your jobs, through the grid of the kingdom of God. Where you are challenged to think about your relationships through the grid of the kingdom of God. Where you are challenged to think about your futures, your spring breaks, your summers, what you're going to do on, during your four years at Ohio State, all of that and much more through the grid. Of the kingdom of God. And my challenge for us tonight is. Is to open our eyes wide. And to see what Bartimaeus sees. To see Jesus as the Davidic king. And then to spring to our feet. Full of courage. Follow him. As he marches on to his throne. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We know you are the rightful king. We know that you are king who reigns in our hearts. And Lord, I do pray that you would open our eyes wide. You would open our eyes wide to the places in our lives where there has been blindness. And at times intentional blindness because we don't want to open our eyes to your calling. Because we're too afraid. Uh, We're too apprehensive or we're scared. Uh, Lord, where there is sin that holds us from following you, that we cling to precious little idols that we have manufactured, that have brought some sort of relief temporarily. And we think if we let go of those, our lives will fall apart. And Lord, you're saying, let your life fall apart because I don't want to save your life. I want to give you a new life. And Father, I pray that maybe even tonight, there will be some in this audience that will experience that new life that comes from freedom. Lord, I pray that tonight will be the night where we'll be throwing away the old, dirty, dingy cloaks that have been grabbing us and grabbing us and tangling us up. And Lord, that we would come to you free and that we will stand before you saying, Lord, let me take your marching orders. Let me follow you to the point of no return because I know that you are the king and your kingdom will prevail. I pray this in Jesus' name.